All right, so let's kick things off today. For four weeks now, uh, we've been talking about wisdom. We've been talking about the wisdom of Solomon. We've been looking into the book of Proverbs, and it, it's all about wisdom, the book of Proverbs is. And it's, and it's wisdom from this guy named Solomon. Solomon lived a thousand years before Jesus, and he's considered to be one of the wisest, or he was the wisest man in the world at the time. In fact, he's one of the wisest and wealthiest men who's ever lived in all of history. Solomon is the guy, and the only person who would be wiser than Solomon would be Jesus himself. So this guy has a lot of wisdom. He's got a lot to offer, and definitely somebody we could be learning from. And he's, he's given us some great insights as we've worked through this for the last few weeks in the area of wealth and finances, thus the name of the series, Dollars and Cents. And, and we've really uh, learned some key things about how to honor God first. We've learned about... Uh, you know, taking, taking care of our finances and managing and stewarding in the way that God has intended to do. Uh, but with everything we've learned, and we've talked about this, wisdom is not just accumulating knowledge. Wisdom is not just gaining head knowledge. Wisdom is making that connection, uh, that important connection between what we know and what we do. And in Hebrew culture, I mentioned this in week one, the symbol of wisdom was the beard. Uh, and before you think... No, I, I did not decide that. This is what they decided. Uh, they decided that thousands of years ago, I just happened to have a great example of wisdom as a visual aid. But the beard was the bridge between the mind and the heart. It connected that and the mind and the body. The connection between what you know and what you do is where wisdom is found. And so we're going to continue that today. Uh, we're going to live out what we learn. And, and this series really is all about those, those hand-on-the-shoulder moments from God. Uh, you know those moments from a father to his kids uh, where the dad just kind of shakes his head and he realizes, oh, okay, let me, let me tell you how it's supposed to work as he puts his hand on the kid's shoulder and, and gives him some wisdom. Uh, because let's be real. Here's a truth. Kids are clueless a lot of the time, okay? Uh, the second truth, most of us are still kids, because we're all living in cluelessness most of the time. But kids, when, when they're brought into this world, they know how to eat and make a mess. That's really what kids can do. And that, that doesn't change unless you change it. Uh, they need to learn how to do just about everything else uh, besides that. Uh, and, and so, you know, that trash bags need to be emptied when they get full. You know, that's pretty obvious, right? Not to a teenager. I can attest to that. It is not obvious in any way. And, and wisdom needs to be imparted. Things like how to use toilet paper. Parents need to, to step in and help here that you don't use half the roll, but you can't use just one square either. Neither one of those is going to turn out well. We have seven kids. This is experience speaking here. Okay, we've gone through the process a few times. There's a happy medium that kids need to learn in the world of toilet paper. But in those moments where the kids do something, uh, where there's a better way for them to have accomplished what they did, that's when the hand goes on the shoulder. You know, and as a dad or a mom, you're going, kiddo, let me show you something. There's a better way to do that. And the book of Proverbs is full of hand on the shoulder moments. That's really what we're looking at, where God is trying to show us a better way. And we're going to have one of those moments here today. But to get to get into that, I want to remind us about a principle that we've been talking about almost every single week. 
And, and that principle is this. It's not about what God wants from us. It's what he wants for us. When we're talking about wisdom from God, it's not about something God can get from us because God is sufficient. God has everything he needs. It's about what he wants for us to protect us, to provide for us. And I want to tell you that God wants a lot for us. And what he has for us today is something really, really, really good. What if I told you that what I'm about to share with you today, that I have something right here on the couch next to me, that I will show you in just a minute, that would bring you more energy, less anxiety, less conflict. In fact, for some married couples, it reduced major conflict to near zero. But those aren't typical results. Results may vary. Uh, but what if I told you I had something that was going to give you healthier relationships, less expenses, and more overall satisfaction? How many of you guys could use that? Yeah, I could use that. That sounds pretty good to me. And what God wants for us today, what God is going to share through the wisdom of Solomon is something that has actually been tested and proven for thousands of years to bring exactly that. So what God has for us is something that's going to give us more energy, less anxiety, less conflict, healthier relationships, less expenses, more overall satisfaction. I mean, who's excited to see what I have sitting on the couch next to me here? Oh yeah, you're thinking, man, it's got to be a ShamWow. I mean, no question, that's got to be what it is. I mean, what else could bring that kind of incredible excitement into somebody's life? You know the way he's talking? I mean, maybe it's essential oils. I don't know. But something is there that's really going to change my life. And here it is. I'm about to reveal. This is the answer. Um, it's a mirror, in case you couldn't tell. So what does the mirror represent? I mean, what, what is this mirror all about? Um, you know everything we just talked about, the incredible things you could experience, the kind of life God intends for you to live, the more energy, the less anxiety, the less conflict, the better relationships, all of that. If you look into this mirror, you see everything you need to experience all of that. You already have everything you need for it. You don't need a product. You don't need a single extra thing. Some of you still don't get it. You're like, a mirror? Is that like an eye mirror? You know, is it some sort of smart mirror to guide me? No, 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 that's not the point. Right where you sit there this morning, on that couch, on that chair, on that love seat, standing in the back, when you look in the mirror and you see who you are and all you have, God has given you every single thing you need to experience all of that if you will trust him. And as he puts his hands around our shoulders today, you can walk away with this today. And no, I'm not giving away mirrors. It's a metaphor, okay? But you can leave this message today having everything that we just talked about. Everything that we mentioned is yours for the taking. And here's how God is offering it to us. It's a tiny little word, one word, that's extremely powerful. And that word for us is contentment. Contentment is what God wants for you. And this morning we're going to be talking about three keys to contentment. And that's what I want you to walk away with this morning. It's something that's been proven for thousands of years. Contentment. To bring more energy, less anxiety, less conflict, better relationships, more overall satisfaction, and less expenses in your life. Contentment. It's so powerful but incredibly elusive. Very few people find contentment, do they? We spend our entire lives searching for things. We spend our entire lives on a quest for just one more. 
If I could have just one more and we never get there. That's why in this arena of, of wealth and money and finances, so many people live with stress and live with anxiety because they're lacking contentment. We all need contentment, but here's the thing about contentment. You have to take some steps to grow in contentment. It's kind of like if you went up to somebody who was really, really sad and you looked up in the eye and you just said, be happy. It's not always gonna work, you know, it wouldn't really get you very far. It's not really helpful to just tell a sad person to be happy and expect them to just do it. Uh, and it's not really helpful to tell a discontent person, hey, just be content. It doesn't work that way. And so what we need to do is actually take some steps towards contentment. Uh, because all throughout scripture, there's some very practical things that you and I can do to grow in this thing called contentment. And I'm telling you, for thousands of years, it's been proven to bring all of those things I mentioned earlier. And so we're going to walk step by step through this this morning. Through the wisdom of scripture, we're going to stop one habit. That's one of the things we're going to do. We're going to start another habit. And we're going to remember something that you and I forget way too easily. Those are the three steps we're going to take, and I'll explain them more in greater detail. We're going to stop one habit, we're going to start another habit, and we're going to remember something that you and I forget way too easily. So here's the first key to contentment. I mean, after all this buildup, obviously you are ready to write this stuff down because you want this. You want to walk away with this this morning. Every one of you should be screaming, tell me how I can experience contentment. Here we go. Here's the first key. We're going to begin by stopping an old habit that all of us have, and it's to stop comparing myself to others. Stop comparing myself to others. Now, some of you are already going, ow, quit it. Stay away from my sore spots, preacher man, because we all struggle on this one. We all play the comparison game. Comparison seems to be a life skill that we've all mastered. We're all way too good at comparing. Listen to what Proverbs 14.30 says. A peaceful heart, in other words, a heart at peace. It's talking about contentment here. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy, envy, discontentment, is like cancer in the bones. If we have inner contentment, it's going to breathe life into us. But when we never seem to have enough, when we're always in this rush for more and we begin to compare what we have to what everyone else around us has, it's going to tear us apart from the inside. So we need to first stop comparing myself to others. Can anybody else relate to this? I mean, anybody else have a problem sometimes with comparing or is that just me? Because when I start to compare, when that happens in my life, what it turns into is it becomes coveting, okay? Which, which made the top 10 list of things we should not do. It becomes coveting. And all of a sudden, I want what somebody else has. And when comparing leads to coveting, that translates directly into discontentment. All of a sudden, what I have isn't good enough anymore. And there's an entire industry built on this principle and it's called advertising i mean really if you think about it the entire advertising industry the entire business model is to convince you that everyone else around you has a better life than you do and that all you need to do to make yours better is to get this one thing whatever it is they're selling whatever it is they want you to subscribe to to buy to order 
It's a sickness. It's a disease. The Bible even compares it to a cancer in Proverbs. And it's called discontentment. And it begins with comparing yourself to others. It is a horrible habit that way too many of us have fallen into. The other side of that coin is that contentment is found when we stop comparing ourselves to others. It's that simple, and it's the first step that we need to take. I mean, this is what Solomon is teaching us here. You've got to stop comparing. It's okay to appreciate nice things that other people have. There's nothing wrong with that. That's being polite. You see something, you comment on it, you notice what that somebody got something new. That's just being polite. But you have to learn to admire without having to acquire. Okay? It, it sounds like something from the O.J. Simpson trial. But you've got to learn to acquire without having to, to admire without having to acquire. The problem with so many of us, though, is that we don't stop with admiration. We don't stop by just admiring what somebody else is. We gotta have it. We've gotta own it. We become obsessed. We experience something. We see something. We don't have it and we see someone else with it and so we begin to covet and we become discontent. And it's this dangerous, dangerous path that we begin to walk down. You, you heard me you know, previously where we talked about that God wants us on the right path. And that's what Proverbs is designed to do, is to help get us on the right path. It's to help move us onto the right path. Well, discontentment is the path that God does not want us walking down. You remember playing Simon Says as a kid? You know, someone plays the role of Simon. No idea why his name is Simon. Apparently, people just think naturally think Simons have good leadership skills. But Simon stands up in front and says, Simon says, put your hand on your head. And everybody puts their hand on their head. Um, but you're only allowed to do what Simon says. Well, this morning, I want you to play Solomon says. I mean, he's the wisest dude that ever lives. We should probably listen to the things he has to say. And Solomon says, you need to stop playing the comparison game. Solomon says, don't compare yourself to other people because it doesn't end well. And maybe you're here uh, this morning and you're going, well, that's great, Jeff. You say stop comparing, but that's easier said than done. And it is easier said than done. And maybe you're going, I kind of have this chronic issue with comparing and I'm always comparing even when I don't want to. It's just part of who I am. And I want to recommend something to you. And this is, this is down the road. It's not something you could do tomorrow. But you want to know when this issue, this comparison issue, stopped being a major issue and a stronghold, really, in my life. And I'm not saying I never struggle anymore. I'm not saying I never compare myself to others anymore. But a huge shift took place in my life when I did something for the first time. And it was when I went on a missions trip to Central America. I went to El Salvador. And it changed me. It changed how I look at things. It changed how I process things. And it, and it just, it was a revolutionary experience for me. We were in some of the most impoverished areas in a third world country. The people had nothing. The homes were some corrugated metal with some wood or branches thrown on top of them. Uh, there was no indoor plumbing. Toilets were just a, a hole dug in the ground with some cinder block walls and a piece of sheet metal. Uh, for a door. And you know what I discovered while I was there in El Salvador from these people who this was their life? I discovered some of the most joy-filled people I had ever met in my life. 
You know what else I discovered while I was there? Some of the most discouraged people and down people I had ever met. Not the same people. These were different people. Some were joy-filled, some were discouraged. But it showed me something. That joy or discouragement does not depend on what I have or what others around me have. It has to do with contentment. It's all found in contentment. Your problem is not with comparing. It's that you're always comparing with people who have more than you do. That's the problem. Or, or have what you wish you had. The bigger TV, the nicer car, the bigger house, more friends, the higher salary, whatever it is. But the times that I've had opportunity to go to some other countries and I start to compare, I start to realize I am filthy rich in comparison to the people that I'm here to serve. And all of a sudden you start to get perspective. All of a sudden things start to shift in your mind and in your heart. So if that's a real struggle for you and you need to break free from that, consider going on a missions trip with the church and see what God does there. See how God changes you. So step one, we stop comparing ourselves to others. Step two, something we need to learn, and this is a new habit that we need to put in place in our lives. You ready? Step two, learn to enjoy what I already have. Step one, stop comparing ourselves to others. Step two, learn to enjoy what I already have. Ecclesiastes is also written by Solomon. He wrote most of Proverbs, but he also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Now, some of you listening have maybe once or twice in your life had this thought, I wish I made more money. I'd be willing to bet somewhere around, oh, I don't know, 100% of you have had that thought at least once. I mean, at some point in your life, you've bound to have had that thought. But I'm doubting very many of you then followed up with the question, how much would be enough? We usually don't think about that. We just say, I wish I had more. We don't really think about that part. When you think about how much, of an, how much is enough, isn't enough really always a little bit more than what you currently have right now? Enough is just a little bit more than what you have right now. Oh man, if I only made this, if one day I could make this, then I would be satisfied. And Solomon says, no, 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 that's not it. People who love money, people who are always wanting more, they're never going to be satisfied. They will never have enough. If you have somebody who makes a million dollars, how much is a lot? They'll say two million. If you say somebody who makes two million, how much is a lot? They'll say four million. Somebody who makes 20,000, how much is a lot? They'll say 30,000. It's always more. And Solomon tells us it's meaningless. And then verse 18, he says this, even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during this short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. Now, by the way, Ecclesiastes is kind of a bummer of a book, okay? As you read through Ecclesiastes, it's it, throughout the whole thing, it's kind of a downer. Uh, this is Solomon later on in his life, He's had lots of experience. He's just going, that's meaningless. This is meaningless. Everything's meaningless. He's just, he's not in a really good frame of mind. He's pretty melodramatic as he writes this book. You know, sometimes when you get into those really high drama moments, I had one of those this morning. I'm getting ready in the bathroom and we've got this like uh, clothes drying rack in the bathroom and all these clothes around. And I'm just like 
trying to sneak by it and I'm making all these noises and I'm really annoyed and, and I'm just being all dramatic and I'm, I'm this drama queen, you know, with regard to this drying rack that I'm trying to get around in the bathroom. And Melissa says, yeah, this is really hard. And she picks it up and she moves it to the side. And she's like, why didn't you just do this a long time ago? I'm like, yeah, I'm high drama. Um, but what, but what's, this is Solomon's high drama period in his life. And he's just like, man, everything's meaningless. This is meaningless. And, and so as you read Ecclesiastes, just kind of read it through that mindset. Um, but then he says, this is what I've observed to be good in the midst of all this vanity, in the midst of all this stuff that really doesn't matter. Here's what's good. For a person to eat, to drink, and to enjoy. The word here for enjoy is also satisfaction or contentment. To live their life and to find contentment in their work during this short life God has given them. What is good? When we just enjoy what we have. That's what Solomon says, that's the good thing, is when you just enjoy what you have. And then here's what he says in verse 19. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. Solomon tells us that whether you got a lot, whether you got a little, that's a good thing. What, I mean, what is a good thing and what is beautiful is when you can enjoy what you have instead of always wanting more. Enjoy what you have instead of always wanting more. Right where you're at, learn to enjoy what God has given you. And this truth has stood the test of time. A thousand years later, Paul would write this to Timothy, his protege, 1 Timothy 6.6. 6, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. That's where you truly are rich is when you learn to be content with what you have. And that is what we're really searching for. We just don't realize it. We brought nothing into this world. We're not taking anything with us from this world. The only way we will experience contentment in this life is to learn to enjoy what we have. Philippians 4.13 is a famous verse that was written by Paul. It says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Hugely famous verse in the Bible. Some of you guys might have Philippians 4.13, a tattoo somewhere on your body. You have it on a pillow. You hang it on the wall. Philippians 4.13 is big. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And maybe you've heard that passage before. But do you know what he's talking about in that verse? If you read the context around it, what Paul is talking about is he says he's learned to be content when he has a lot, when he has a little, when he's hungry, when he's got leftovers. He has learned to be content in all of that. And he tells the Philippian church, what I've learned is to be content no matter what's going on. And then here's the secret. Here's the secret to contentment that Paul says. The secret is I can do all things through Christ. It all starts with his relationship with Jesus that whether I have a lot, whether I have a little, what matters is I have food, I have clothing, and I'm content with that. So every time we hear that passage, that's what he's talking about. Philippians 4.13 at its core is about contentment and satisfaction. Now here's a great way to think about it. If you're taking notes, just draw a box in your notes. And if you're not a note taker, just draw a box in your mind, okay? This box represents a garden. And in that garden is everything that you have. Everything that God has blessed you with in this life is in that garden. It's all in there. And then ask yourself a question. What is it that I already have? And think about all the things that are found in that garden. This is true in relationships. This is true in our possessions. Everything that's in that garden is what God has blessed you with. 
And what we tend to do is we live in that garden. We have all of these things inside the garden, but we don't look at the garden. We look at everything outside of the garden. But these people have this and those people have that. Incidentally, since we're on the garden metaphor here, discontentment really was the root of the original sin. God had given them everything and blessed them with everything and said, be free, have whatever you want, just don't touch that one tree. And so, of course, they became discontent because they couldn't see all the things they had and the wonder of what they had. All they could focus on was what they didn't have. They were discontent. And we do the same thing in our lives with all of the blessings we have, with all of the things God has brought into our lives. All we focus on sometimes are the things we don't have. And we begin to focus on everything else except for what is inside the garden. And guess what begins to happen when you ignore a garden? The garden starts to fall into disrepair and weeds begin to grow and, and things begin to die. The more discontent we are with what we have, the more we focus on everything else because the things we have fall into disarray. We don't care for what God has already given us and things get worse, not better. Because here's what you have to do. Here's how God designed things to work in your life. We need to learn to focus on what we have. We need to focus on what God has given you. Tend the garden, care for the garden, steward and manage what God has given you and ignore the rest of it. And guess what happens? That garden is going to flourish. That garden's going to grow. It's going to provide for you. There's going to be satisfaction and contentment in that. And when you focus outside of it, though, that's just going to fall apart. By the way, step one and step two of contentment, uh, stop comparing yourself to others and, and be satisfied and, and with what God has given you and be content with that. These are true of relationships as well, not just possessions. It's not just about stuff in the relationships that you have. Step one, stop comparing your spouse to others. There's a great uh, example of this. Don't compare. When you compare, it leads to coveting and it leads to discontentment. And focus on what you already have. Learn to enjoy what God has blessed you with and cultivate that relationship. What God has blessed you with already. Because here's what I can promise you. You'll find what you're looking for. If you look for what you have in that relationship, if you look for the positive things, you'll find the positive things. But if you're looking for all the negative things, you'll find that too. And it might be a little bit of work for you, but learn to focus on what you have. Tend the garden, care for what you have, and it will flourish. It will grow. We have a huge issue with comparing people, and it leads to dissatisfaction. So going back to learning to enjoy what I already have, uh, I want to once again warn you of a danger that's out there. You know, we talked earlier about advertising, marketing, how it's designed to make you feel like your life is miserable without whatever they're trying to get you to buy. It creates, it breeds, it fosters discontentment. It causes you to start focusing on all these other things that are out there and ignore the garden that God has given us that he wants us to manage well. Because here's, here's a huge, huge point. If you can't be content with what you currently have, you won't be content with what you get. If you can't be content with what you currently have, you won't be content with what you get. It is so important to remember that. We've got to learn to be content because otherwise it will never happen. If you can't find contentment in what those things that God has already given you, what you've already been blessed with, bringing other things in, that's not going to solve your problem. 
So we're going to stop comparing ourselves to other. We're going to start learning to enjoy what God's already given us. And step three here, we're going to remember that life is about God and people and not possessions. Remember that life is about God and people, not possessions. God and people. Those are two things that will last forever. Possessions are going to last for just a little while. Maybe you're listening and you're going, man, I get that. I, I get this. God's important. I get that my relationship with God should be important, but I'm just not right with God. You know, I just want to say this really clearly. If you're not right with God, if, if, if you're out of relationship with God, you will never find contentment. If things aren't right between you and God, if you've not received the grace that God offers you through Jesus, if you've not said yes to following and trusting Jesus with your life, you're going to be forever searching and never finding in your life. You're going to be trying to fill your life with all kinds of different things that are never going to satisfy you. Because without Jesus, you will never find what you're looking for because you have not yet found what you were created to find. And that is Jesus and relationship with him and restoration of that relationship. You've been hardwired to find that. And we spend all our lives trying to fill that with other things, but God wants you to find contentment in him. And so I can't talk about contentment without saying clearly, if you have not said yes to following Jesus, you will not find contentment. And so if you're going, yeah, you know what? These are great principles, but I haven't said yes to Jesus. And, and, and maybe you want to make things right in your relationship with God. Maybe that's where you're at. You're like, yes, I need to do that. I want to encourage you to ask him to be the Lord of your life right now. I'm going to stop right now in the middle of the message and we're going to pray. And if you're wanting to get your life right and begin to follow him, and everyone is going to bow their heads, we're just going to pray together. But you have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus right now in your heart. And so if that's where you're at, you need to get your life right with God. As I pray, would you just whisper a prayer yourself and just ask God to forgive you and to come into your life. Let's pray together right now. God, I just pray for everyone who's listening to this message. And there are some that may be at this point right now where they've realized, I, I have not found contentment and maybe part of the reason is because I'm not right with God. I've not said yes to Jesus. And so Lord, as they're in that attitude of prayer and as they're calling out to you on their own right now and saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. Would you forgive me? I want to follow you. God, as they do that, would you bring forgiveness and bring restoration and bring new life and bring the beginnings of that contented life that you've called us to live? And God, I just pray for everybody who's reaching out to you right now. Maybe they've, they've been following you and they've gotten off track and they're just making things right and getting back on the path right now. God, whatever it is, wherever they're at, I pray that you would, uh, Holy Spirit, work in them do a regenerative work in their heart right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And here's what I want you to do. If you prayed and made a decision just now, would you drop me a quick email to jeff at trilogy.church? It's the easiest email in the world. Jeff at trilogy.church. And just tell me in that email, I said yes to Jesus. And I'll follow up with you. I want to follow up with you and be able to walk alongside you. And, and we'll walk that journey with you because that's how God designed it to take place is in community. And I would love to just encourage you and be able to pray for you. And so just drop me an email at that email address there and just say, I said yes to Jesus. Um, but step three, remember that life is about God and people. It's not about possessions. 
It's about God and people. It's not about possessions. And if you're a follower of Jesus already, find contentment in your relationship with him. Because as A.W. Tozer said, you will never be satisfied with God and until you are satisfied with God only. Nothing else added on top of God is ever going to satisfy you until you are satisfied with God alone. Jesus said the same thing. Solomon said it several times, but in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is with his disciples and he says this in Luke 12, 15. Then he said, beware, exclamation point, okay? He's telling us all to be careful here. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Your life is not measured by how much you own. Stuff is something we manage temporarily. You don't leave with your possessions. All the things that you acquire from birth to death, they stay here. Jesus even tells the story of this guy who has all this stuff and he doesn't know what to do with it. So he built a bigger barn to fit all of his stuff in. It sounds very American. I think, I think this guy was part of American culture back in, in ancient Palestine. But then it says that very night that he fills that barn, he dies. And the point is that life is not about possessions. What matters in life is God and people. And we know this, but we need to remember this. This is something that we need to bring to remembrance all the time. You see, when someone's on their deathbed, we know what happens. They're not saying they're going, man, would you please bring me my diamonds? I just want to look at them. In their final hours, they're not saying, I need my laptop so I could check the IRA one more time. I need to see where my bank account's at. They're not saying, hey, can you, can you wheel this thing out so I can look at the car just one last time? They're saying, I want my family. I want my friends. I want the people in my life. And they're crying out to God in that moment. We know it's about God and people, but we live our whole lives with it backwards until that moment. Why do we wait for that moment to realize what matters? God's putting his arm around our shoulders this morning. And he's going, it doesn't have to be that way. You can learn now. There's a better way. And if that's a struggle for you that that rem remembering that, I started thinking of different ways that we can do this. What are some steps we could take to remember that it's about God and people, not about possessions? And here's a couple real practical things that you can do. One, start spending quality time with people. Start spending quality time with people. Jesus says, watch out, life isn't about stuff. It's about the person sitting across the table from you. It's about the people that are most important to you. Spend some quality time with the people who are in your life. Parents, the greatest gift you could give your kids can't be purchased on Amazon. It doesn't require your credit card number. The greatest gift that we can give our kids, it's not more stuff, it's our time. Incidentally, the same goes for your spouse. The greatest gift you can give your, your spouse is not more stuff, it's your time. Take your kids for a walk. Go play with them. Do something they enjoy. Go do something you enjoy together because we go to work and we kill ourselves working so hard to give them more stuff and what they need is more you. Take a step. Make a plan. We just did this in, in our family because my time was really starting to get kind of fractured and I was all over the place and I didn't have blocks of time to really dedicate so that my family felt the impact of my presence. And so we were finding it really tough to get good quality time together as a family. So I restructured my work week. 
I rearranged it. I understand not all of you have that flexibility, but that's just a step that we took, is I restructured my work week to work for four 11-hour days, Monday through Thursday, and leave Friday and Saturday wide open for Melissa and the kids. And it's made a huge difference for Melissa and me already. I mean, just two weeks in on this shift for us, and Melissa said the other night, she can feel the difference in a huge way. And it's making a big difference. Spend quality time with the people that you care about. Take steps. Do something to make a difference. Here's another thing you can do. For some of you, your focus is on all this stuff here. It's on possessions. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Consider being more generous. Consider being more generous. Give more away uh, than what you're used to. Keep less, give away more. What does that have to do with discontentment? What does that have to do with what we're talking about? Here's the thing. Discontentment and generosity are enemies of one another. They're arch enemies. You want to fight discontentment? Start giving more away. Jesus says it this way. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Your heart's going to go in the direction of where your treasure is. You can either choose to feed discontentment, try and get more and more and more, and spoiler alert, that doesn't work. Ever. You'll keep finding that you're still discontent. You keep trying to get even more. And he says you can either feed that or you can start to feed a heart of generosity. It's the great enemy of discontentment to be generous with what you have because it breaks that stronghold that stuff and money has on our lives and the heart control that it has. To invest it into things that matter and to God and to people and what God is doing in this world. Because guess what? Your heart will begin to follow where your treasure goes. And I want you to walk away with this thought this morning as we wrap things up. The secret to contentment is not making more. It's wanting less. The secret to contentment is not making more. It's wanting less. It's changing our focus from all the stuff that we don't have to focus on what we do have. On the people who matter most and the relationship with God that matters more than anything. And you and I, we can have more money, less anxiety, less conflict, healthier relationships, less expenses, and more overall satisfaction if we would just trust in the wisdom that God has given us through Solomon and actually take these steps that we've talked through today. It's the life that God has for you. Live it. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the wisdom you've given us. And I pray for each one of us this morning because I'm pretty sure in some way, each one of us, we are struggling with discontentment. We look around and we see the things that we don't have and we want them. We begin to lose sight and lose focus of what you've already blessed us with. And it's a lot. God, we know that it's not what you want from us, but what you want for us. That this is to provide for us and to give us a better life and to protect us from the attacks of the enemy. And I believe that you want us to experience the power of contentment. So I pray for myself. I pray for each one of us. Would you help us to take steps this week, even starting right now in this moment in our hearts? Would you help us to bring to mind all the things that you've already blessed us with? To focus on those things. To help us to be a people who grow in the power of contentment instead of falling into the trap of always wanting more. I pray for your wisdom to turn into action for us. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.